0: Hey everybody, welcome to Tone Benders. I'm Renee Coronado. So this is the episode where I put my recordings up that I made at a Trump rally when Donald Trump came through town recently. Um, there's a couple things I want to say, kind of in advance of what you're going to hear in this episode. The first is that I want to give a big shout out to Jay Fernandez for helping out with editorial on this. He's the first of the people that we've kind of gone through handing off some of the editorial duties and Jay is, you know, a guy that I've known on Twitter and on Slack for a while, and he's just a super dependable guy. So high five Jay and uh, go check him out on Twitter at J M Fernandez with an S. Um, The other thing is, you know, I recorded this rally and then I recorded the voiceover and basically got to hand those two things, both off the voice to Jay and the, Raw Rally recordings to Steve, one of my co-workers. And I got to kind of come back with everything nice and edited and labeled and just kind of play producer on the back end of that. And that uh, that really allowed me to to shape a really cool kind of soundscape at the end. And so I did that yesterday. And last night, here in Dallas, where I live, there was a massive shooting of police officers uh, that happened right after a similar rally as the one you're going to hear later in this episode. And in the episode, you're going to hear me talking about the nature of how protests in Dallas have kind of gone, which is in general very peaceful, if a little bit kind of egocentric and voyeuristic, but never threatening or dangerous. And also the nature of how the police acted in what could have been a very tense situation. And in my opinion, the police have acted remarkably well, both at the Trump rally that I went to for this episode and in the wake of what happened last night here in Dallas, um, I'm not going to get any further into that, into the events of of what happened yesterday, Uh, mostly because this isn't the forum for it, Um, and also because I'm pretty emotional about it. I'm not happy about it. I'll say that. This is my home, and um, I'm pretty pissed off. But I don't think that should preclude me putting this episode out. So what I'm going to do is include a little moment of silence here, just kind of for everybody that's been affected by this on all sides. I just think that we we all, on every side of it, need to stop doing this. We all need to kind of try and get on the same side instead of being on different sides. So there's that. Here's a little moment of silence. And uh, after that, enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey, everybody, it's Renee Coronado. I am in my bedroom with a sleeping toddler in the other room, so you're going to hear me talking a little bit softly today. But that's okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the rig that I'm talking into right now. What you're hearing is a Rode NTG2 into a mix pre that's going into a PCM M10 via the line out. I calibrated the input with the tone off of the mix pre. And the reason I kind of wanted to put this rig together and do this part of this podcast here from this house was to show the power of what a rig like this can actually sound like. The most expensive part of the entire rig is obviously the Mix Pre. And that thing runs, you know, about $1,000, which is more than the rest of the rig combined. The NTG2 is about $300, and the PCMM10 is about $200. So combined, they add up to half of that Mix Pre. But what I wanted to show really was how good this mic actually does sound as long as it's powered properly. I think this mic gets a bad rap for a couple of reasons. One, because it's inexpensive as a shotgun mic. A lot of really good-sounding shotgun mics cost two and three times what this mic costs. And two, because this mic does not sound amazing if it's underpowered. So this is one of those mics that will run off of its own phantom power off of an internal battery. But the problem is that that setup doesn't sound amazing because for some reason, the internal battery doesn't power it very well. And another common use of this mic is with DSLR film shooters. And if you run this mic into a camera's electronics or into an inferior preamp, it also starts to fall apart and starts to not sound amazing. But if you take a mic of this caliber and run it through a really good preamp with really good phantom power, you end up with... Really good recordings and that's what I feel like I get out of this mic. It's not a super expensive mic But it is a really good sounding mic when you have a good front end. So really to some degree. This is just a proof of concept of What this particular mic is capable of. I'm here in my bedroom So you know, there's the bed is a little bit absorptive and there's a clothes rack behind the mic That's a little bit absorptive, but it's not a super treated room by any means. And so you can hear how direct and how beautiful this mic still sounds. My face is probably right about a foot from the front of the mic and I'm aimed straight at it. And I'm not speaking very loud because I've got a sleeping toddler in the other room. Which brings me to my second reason for recording this this way. And that's because I don't have a whole lot of extra time to put in at the studio to do the recording of this kind of stuff these days with the presence of the little one, I find myself compelled to leave the office most days as soon as I can and come home and be with the kiddo. And um, it's not just out of a sense of responsibility it's because I really enjoy spending my time with him. And there are other things that I do as well. You know, I'm training for boxing right now. And so I have to put in a certain amount of hours in the gym to do that as well. And you start to have things start adding up on you. And so what's happened over the past, you know, few months or I'd say probably 6 or 8 months is that the time that I have available to both record and edit this podcast has become much more limited. Which is not to say that I'm going to stop, it's just to explain a little bit of uh why it takes so long these days to get anything out. Trust me, I have a huge Trello board of topic ideas ready to go. It's just a matter of finding the time to execute them. Because you know there's a certain standard that we've been doing this podcast to and so i don't want to put something out haphazardly there are things that i want to do and i want to do them thoroughly and i want to do them well and we'll get them done but it takes a little bit more time to get to those and get through those kind of in the current phase of my life and you know those things will continue to evolve and continue to change tim Muirhead is kind of in a similar situation. I don't really want to speak for him, but I'll say that he's got two little ones, and his time is probably much more limited than mine is. He's the interview guy. He's the guy that lines up all of the amazing guests that we've had since this podcast has begun. He's got a real knack for contacting people and getting them to agree to come on the show and to be interviewed. He's got his whole list of people that he's ready to talk to and to get on the show. But Again, his time is probably more limited than mine is. So those things will come to pass. They will continue on. We will continue to soldier on. But in the meantime, the way that I'm going to approach the podcast moving forward, at least in the short term, is record what I can, when I can, put things together. And if it takes more time to get something out, then so be it. If certain things end up being a little bit shorter, then so be it. But I do find the podcast to be very rewarding. I'm constantly surprised by how often people that I interact with talk about it. I don't really talk about the libraries that we sell at Echo Collective on the podcast very much. I mean, I know they get mentioned here and there, but that's not my focus. This podcast is not some sort of promotional vehicle for those indie libraries. They're not even branded or marketed similarly or anything like that, but I'm constantly surprised at how often someone will buy something from Echo Collective and send a note to me and say, hey man, I love the podcast. Or, you know, I'll be talking to somebody on Slack or I'll be talking to somebody on Twitter and people will mention the podcast and and how much they enjoy it. And to me, that's very rewarding. I would have stopped already (laughs) if I wasn't already hearing so much from all the people out there who listen to it and receiving such good feedback. And so I really appreciate the fact that you guys appreciate what we do. It's pretty freewheeling, freeform. It's, it's a little bit of, we put out what we want to put out, and there's not a lockdown structure, and I think that works well for us. But I do like to dive deep into certain things. So there's that. That's just kind of my thoughts on these things. What I'd like to do today is put together a little bit of a travelogue of a recording that I made. So yesterday, infamous politician Donald Trump came to my town and put on a rally. And I went out to record the protesters. So I just want to step through a little bit of how this all went down, what my thought process was in preparing for it, and what actually happened at the event. So I'm sitting there cruising Reddit, and I have an actual Google News alert for when protests happen and implosions also, by the way. So I try and use tools like that, like Google News alerts, to alert me to things that I can go record if they're announced well enough in advance for me to go do it. And more than anything, that particular Google News alert really sends me alerts of protests and implosions that have already happened as opposed to protests and implosions that are happening in the future. So it can be sometimes a little more aggravating than it is inspiring. But every so often, I'll get that news alert and it'll be, hey, this thing is planned for tomorrow. And in this case, that was what happened. I got a news alert that said, hey, Trump's coming to town and protesters are organizing here. And I was like, oh, man, I got to (laughs) go. I got to go do this. And the more I looked into it and the more I saw the details of what it was going to be, the more convinced I was that I had to go do it. I saw that the gay community was going to be there. The Hispanic community was going to be there. The black community was going to be there. The open carry community was going to be there. There was rumors that the KKK was going to be there. So I felt like it was going to be pretty rowdy. And then I saw the time of day that it was going to happen, and it was going to happen after work. So it was going to happen at 7 o'clock was when Trump was supposed to hit the stage. So to me, the timing was perfect, because that meant that I could go about my work day and then bail and go hit the protest and then come home. So everything was really kind of falling into place with regards to timing and location and all of that. So the location was at Gillies, Dallas, which is kind of downtown. It's not particularly far from me, um, but the really nice thing is that the train goes right up to it. So, you know, when you go to these things, sometimes you worry about parking. But in this case, I knew that I could take the train and get off on a particular exit and be five minutes from the location. So as I'm looking at it, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I got to do it. I got to do it. I can't not do it. If he's coming to town and all these protesters are going to be there, I've said before, I think on this podcast, but I say it kind of in general, I feel like recordings of protests are going to be very important for a lot of work moving forward. I feel like the sound of protest is going to be an important sound to have lots and lots of coverage of in my library generically, just as the type of work that we do comes in the door and as any type of work comes in the door. I feel like the overall ethos of a lot of things that get created are going to have unrest and unruliness kind of about them. So I feel like it's important to get out and get that kind of stuff as often as I can and get as many flavors of it as I can. I know I did a podcast a while back about the Occupy Dallas stuff that I recorded. I think I did a similar travelogue to this about the gay pride parade that I recorded that came right after the Supreme Court handed down their decision legalizing gay marriage across the whole country. Those are intense, emotional gatherings of people, and they don't happen every day. So when they do happen, it's very beneficial to be there and be accounted for and to have the mics up. So once I kind of had told myself, yeah, I'm going to do it, and cleared it with the wifey and all of that, I had to put a plan together. So how am I going to approach this type of situation? What are my considerations? This was a potentially volatile situation. Now, I think the city of Dallas is not as volatile with our protests as some other municipalities are. Like, I don't think I would have gone out if I lived in Oakland for example not to say anything bad about oakland but there are parts of the country where people are a little bit more prone to violence more quickly than the dallasites are and this is not to say that that people in dallas are more peaceful it's more to say that they're more kind of gawkers and spectators here <laughs> than maybe in some other places i think that's just kind of the ethos of this particular city And so, you know, there's always that nagging concern of, hey, I've got a two-year-old. I don't want to put myself in any real, actual, mortal danger here. I do still feel like I can't hide under a rock either. And this is going to be heavily policed. And if I keep my head about me and, you know, keep my eyes up and just be aware of when to get out of there, if I need to get out of there, then... It'd be worth it and, it, and I would be fine. So sometimes you do have to talk yourself into diving into a situation like this. But in my life, I've never regretted that. I've always, I've always come out the other side of it happy that I did it, and that was the case here as well. So my initial question was, do I need to go stealth? Or do I need to go, or can I go higher fidelity and higher resolution than that? Stealth is fun, and stealth totally works for situations like this, and you can get really good stealth recordings. In my case, I don't have a really thoroughly worked out and tested binaural stealth rig. I know a lot of people do. And for a lot of people, that would be an option. But on short notice, I don't really have a rig like that. So my typical stealth rig is honestly just the PCMD-50 nonchalantly placed out in space. It's amazing how much recording you can do with just that in a lot of situations. But as you sit and look and really break down why you need to go stealth in any given situation one of the reasons you would need to go stealth would be if the presence of your mics are going to change the dynamic. And in this case, I did not feel like they would because I felt like there would be a lot of media out there, right? So if there's a lot of media out there, me just being another one wasn't going to change the dynamic of what these people were going to do. If anything, it would amp them up a little more and aim them at me, which in that case I'm into. It would not negatively impact the dynamic. At least that was my impression of what I was walking into. Another reason to go stealth would be if you would not, in other circumstances, be allowed to record what you're trying to record. For instance, I've had to, you know, I've recorded like a poker room in a stealth situation like that. And this was an outdoor protest. So there was not going to be anyone that tells me, hey, you can't record this. I mean, this is public streets, public spaces. And our rights as recordists are right there with a photographer's right as a photographer, as a journalist out there in the streets. Sometimes you have to fight for your rights. But again, I didn't feel like this was going to be a place where I was going to get challenged. My only other nagging concern specific to this exact event was if people perceived me as media, then I might end up being a target. And again, this really comes down to Trump specifically. I've read lots and lots of stories of members of the media being yelled at, cursed at, spit at by Trump supporters because Trump really riles people up and riles them up specifically with venom at the media. And so, you know, I had a concern that by showing up and looking like the media, that I would become a target. But I felt like that was still worth the risk. I mean, I felt like in most situations, the worst thing that would happen would be I'd get cursed at or spit at, right? And hey, I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can I can handle it. If I did get spit at, it would probably still be worth it <laughs> to go out there and do it. I don't think I would end up getting like physically attacked. But you know, that's in the back of your head. So what this all came down to to me was, hey, I I don't need to go stealth here. A, I don't have a a really good rigged up binaural stealth kit. And B, I think I can step in there boldly with the best recording situation that I have available to me and not get messed with that much. So I said, screw it, I'm going to take a risk. If I'm going to take the risk to go down there, I'm going to go ahead and get the recording that I want to get with no compromises. So, really, that whole thought process mirrors the thought process that I had when I went out to record the Gay Pride Parade. I was going to step into the parade with my microphones and, and put them up high and just kind of walk with the parade. West. 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 That worked out just beautifully. And I felt like I could do that again in this situation. So I looked at the website for the protest, the protest organization website, and there were a couple of details there that were of interest to me and that did influence how it went and how I set up and prepared. One of them was the protesters were supposed to be wearing white shirts for peace, which reinforced my idea that I was going to be okay out there. But unfortunately, I read that note too late. I had already shown up to work wearing what I figured was my best kind of generic person camouflage, which is blue jeans and a black shirt. So I figured, hey, well, I'm just going to have to stick with what I'm wearing. The other thing they said was, when you bring your signs, don't bring any wooden or metal sticks. Now, my initial plan was to put my mics up on a boom pole and put them up high above the crowd. But I felt like I needed to take that specific... Instructions seriously. I didn't want to be the only one out there with a big metal stick. So I ended up going handheld with the rig, which was a slightly suboptimal compared to how I wanted to do it, but in the end it ended up working out fine. So the rig that I put together was exactly the same rig that I had put together for the Gay Pride Parade, which is two Sheps Omni Mics in a Rycote MS basket with the pistol grip and the two Shep's Omni mics were facing in opposite directions and they were kind of sitting exactly on top of each other. I didn't have a proper AB setup where I was kind of aiming both the mics out in the same direction, but I've had good success with this type of array in the past before because of just kind of the nature of what Omnis are. They're a lot more forgiving with regards to fudging your placement. So I found that this is a really good, Type of ambient rig that works really well. My other option to keep everything in a single basket would have been to go MS, and that would have been perfectly fine and acceptable. But I think MS would have been a much tighter sound, and I wanted to really get a sense of scale and of scope with what I had. So I went with the Omni's and I'm glad I did. The Rycote MS rig has a five-pin connector on the bottom of it. So I have a five-pin cable that ran into my recorder. So the recorder was the sound device of 633. And instead of putting it in a proper sound bag, I put it in a nonchalant-looking backpack and ran the cable inside the backpack and had the headphones kind of popping out of that. I did wear proper Sennheiser headphones. So if you kind of glanced at me, you might just not see a lot of what I was doing, but if you stopped and took a look for a moment, you'd see that I was wearing headphones and holding up microphones. But I wasn't like some big credentialed media guy with a boom pole, right? So I was kind of straddling the line a little bit with regards to what my look was. I really did consider rolling with earbuds for monitoring instead of the over-ear headphones, but... In the end, I figured I was going to be fine with the over years. You know, if I'm holding up, you know, a big old MS rig, I'm not really going to fool anybody. So that was kind of what the rig was. So to spell that out one more time, Shep's Omni's in an MS basket on top of one another kind of head-to-butt running with a five-pin single cable into a backpack where it rolled into the 633. And the 633 also had some headphones that popped right out, and the whole rig kind of sat on my back with the mics in my hand, handheld, with no boom pole. When I was transporting the whole thing from the studio to the site, I put the mics in the backpack. So basically the whole thing collapsed all the way down into just a normal-looking backpack for transit. That was important because I was going to take the trains down to the site, down to the, to the protest location. So I didn't want to ride the trains with a bunch of big expensive gear kind of exposed and obvious, right? So the stealth kind of operation ended up being just moving about from here to there. Everyone rides the train with a backpack. I did make a mistake on my way in. You know, the Dallas trains have multiple lines as a lot of metro trains do. And I only ride them so often. And the ones that I ride tend to be the Green Line, and the Green Line has a train that goes right by my house, and so I figured what I'll do is I'll go to the park-and-ride station right by my house, park my car there, jump on the Green Line, and get off on the exit right by Gillies.
1: Inwood Lovefield Station. This is the Green Line. Final destination. Buckner Station. Next up Southwestern
0: Medical District, Parkland patient. Well, what I hadn't calculated and what I just didn't even look up was the fact that the Gillies exit is on the Blue Line. It's not on the Green Line. So I'm, I'm, I'm already kind of parked and I'm looking at it. And I'm going, ah, oh, damn it! It's on the wrong. It's on the wrong line. But I'm sitting there going, well, it's fine. I can take the green line down to downtown and transfer to the blue line. There are several stations down there where the blue line runs with the green line. So I can jump off on one station off the green line and wait for a blue line train to come and jump on that one. So that's what I did. I took the train from my house down to downtown, jumped off with my backpack, waited for a blue line train to come. And then like an idiot, I jumped on the blue line train going north instead of south. So I went in the wrong direction for about three exits. And then I had to bail out of that and wait for another one to come back. And so I cost myself around an hour just by being an idiot with regards to which train I was going to take in. If I was smart, I would have driven another, I don't know, eight or ten blocks the other way, parked at a different parking right on the blue line and just taken the train straight there and gotten there probably an hour earlier. But... I work so hard to think of all the other things that inevitably something important like that is gonna slip through and I just have to fight through it. And there's a psychological thing that happens when you make a stupid mistake like that. And it's like, man, you look at yourself and you go, here I am sitting in a train station with all this gear on my back and I went the wrong way and I'm not even gonna make it to the event before he starts talking. And I'm going to miss all the good stuff. And you know what, man, I had to just go home. I had to just say, screw it and go home. And you feel these thoughts of, this is stupid. I thought it was going to be good, but I've run into a problem. And this is stupid and I want to go home. And what you have to do really is be like, you just have to steel yourself and say, no, man, I've come this far. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to go down there and get what I can get. And then I'll come back. And... In the end, I did get there an hour afterwards, but I think that ended up really being for the best. Because when I got there, the crowd was really sparse. There were helicopters flying overhead, and the cops were all there. But, you know, there was probably a few hundred people there, and that was it. So I feel like for the hour leading up to that, I didn't miss anything. And as soon as I got there, that's kind of when all the action started. So I get off the train... I unpack the bags, I hit record and I'm not going to be able to see my preamps and my meters. So I set my pre's and my meters pretty conservatively anticipating people next to me yelling and that ended up working out really well. I hit record, I plug in the mics and I just start walking towards the crowd and there's a very heavy police presence both at the train exit. And along all the streets. Just past the police blockade. And as you're going, and then there are cops kind of giving me a little bit of a look. And then moving on. So I could tell that I was definitely being evaluated as to, Alright, who's this guy? What's he got? Alright, he's fine. Because, make no mistake, there were open carry dudes that were there. That were private citizens, but they had riot shields and AR-15s. And they were just kind of out there exercising their constitutional rights to do what they're gonna do, right? So all these cops are evaluating every individual. That's not just some Joe walking. Anyone that's carrying gear is getting scrutinized <laughs> with every step they take. And I was very aware of that. But I tried to swallow and breathe deep and just soldier on. And so I turned the corner and and you can just hear it. You can hear the helicopters going overhead. And you can hear the protests in the distance. And the chanting in the distance. And it's like, ah, oh, there it is. There it is. And as you walk in closer and you hear the chants going, you're like, this feels like real civil unrest here. This feels like a for real protest. There is some real kind of emotions that are boiling up here. There's definitely both supporters and protesters, and they're in close proximity to one another, and everyone's trying to make their point and be heard, but it's not its not scary. And I walk up there, and I'm, and I'm struck by a couple of different things. Because, you know, I've been to a few of these now. I kind of know what the vibe is, right? But the one thing that was very, very different... Well, one of the things that was very, very different this time around was the degree to which... There were gawkers, I guess, almost outnumbering the protesters, especially at the very beginning. There was probably only a couple, a dozen protesters out there chanting. But what I saw was also a dozen or so people out there with cameras and their cell phones just kind of shooting video of the protesters, like in close close proximity, kind of circling around everybody like satellites so i just kind of jumped into orbit um around the protesters and i'm sitting there in my mind thinking this is so strange this is so strange all of these people are here just to watch this handful of people protesting they're not here to protest they're here to gawk and i look up and it's like well i'm here to gawk with them you know i'm no better than those guys are but i still kind of got a soldier through it and you know what they're giving me gold they're giving me good stuff And then the supporters on the other side start going. And that was another thing that kind of struck me was the vibe that I was getting from the Trump supporters. It's something that I remember from when I was a kid growing up as a Hispanic in very, very white West Texas, there is a cocky arrogance to the racism that you see down here sometimes. I don't see it in Dallas proper very much. I remember it from West Texas more than I see it here. But man, you encounter this kind of stuff and it's people smirking with their chins up, and it's the most infuriating kind of thing to sit and watch, and it was not lost on the protesters. So, you know, there was a group of you know Hispanic girls that were out there doing their chins and There was a couple of you know the LGBT crowd out there, but not a whole lot, especially early. and it just kind of rolled along for a little bit and then I looked up and I saw that the size of the crowd had doubled and then it had tripled and then people started getting pretty heated
1: Shut up. I suggest you oh, look that), that. Yeah,
0: You saw just kind of the role of cops sitting along the side of the building, just kind of observing and watching and making sure everything was going to be cool. And then at some point when things got real heated, the cops all did this maneuver that they had clearly worked on. They grabbed each other by the shoulder and stepped through the crowd and separated us with the protesters on one side and the supporters on the other. And, you know, they put about 20 feet between us.
1: Further? We got to yell louder? I mean, I should have brought my megaphone. Y'all pushing us back so far. Y'all know y'all hate Trump, too. Come on, DPD. Y'all know y'all hate Trump. You know you hate
0: Trump. It was something that I hadn't really been able to perceive, at least walking in, was how many cops there actually were there, because it felt like there was probably about 30 or 40 cops kind of in the area where everyone was congregated but clearly it was more than that once they all kind of stepped in it was lots more than that and you're sitting there going wow and then you know the chant started kind of going across the chasm of the cops and I'll say this about the cops here they were all super professional they were obviously very well trained for this specific event they were not in any way unreasonable they did not seem to be You know, like, militarily armed to the teeth with bobcats. Like, I didn't see any bobcats out there or any kind of, like, heavy military armor (laughs) out there. And I was appreciative of that. You know, they were kind of fully uniformed with big, obvious, white, handcuff-style zip ties that they had available to them. But they conducted themselves super professionally the entire time they were very nice, they communicated very well and very clearly. They didn't get riled, they didn't get upset. There were a couple of people in the crowd that were really trying to piss them off and hurling uh, some real insults at them. And uh, they all kept their cool. Much, uh, much appreciation and much thanks to the Dallas Police Department for how they conducted themselves in that situation. to watch what they were doing as they would step through the crowd and just kind of ease us back. They didn't push us back. They didn't have riot shields or anything. It was just them out there. And I saw some other stuff, too. It was so wild. There was a couple of lady police officers there that were filming every incident with their cell phones. I guess Dallas doesn't have body cams going on, but clearly they were assigned to film everything with the cell phones which was wild in this environment of everyone else in the crowd filming everything with their cell phones. It was very surreal, the degree to which everyone just had their phones out and was recording everything. There were people protesting while rolling video on themselves as, you know, kind of selfie style. They were yelling their chants and doing all of that, and then they'd stop and give a little speech into their into their phones and then and then move on and keep going. And it felt so... Voyeuristic and narcissistic in spots, and then in other spots, it felt very genuine and real, and in other spots, it felt very heated and intense. And every so often, some Trump supporter in full Trump regalia would pop up in the middle of the protester crowd, and by this time, an hour or so into it, there were, I mean, there were lots of people there, and you'd you'd see this circle form around something almost like how uh, white blood cells would, like, start to envelop an infection, you know? you'd see this Trump supporter show up and they would get circled. They'd all start having words and everyone would be talking and then you know the cops would kind of be aware of it and I'm positive there were all kinds of plain close cops in the crowd coordinating stuff as well. And then the most insane thing would happen would be somehow 50 more cops would show up and they would form a little human kind of line and they'd grab each other by the shoulders and they'd count to three, one, two, three and they'd just barrel into the crowd. <sighs> and they grab whoever was causing trouble and pull them back out. Take the trials out!
1: Take the trials out! Take the trials
0: out! And then the whole crowd would sit there and plodding and dig out the trash and you know they'd say all kinds of you know stuff and and this happened like over and over and over again and it was just the most insane thing to sit and watch up close and then there were other characters too there was the jesus freaks that had their little uh, microphones and, and speakers and they sounded like just total if you're not listening to what they're saying it sounds like oppression and <laughs> desperation they're speaking so passionately and and there's so much distortion on the speaker it's this perfectly sound designed sound of disharmony and discontent it was really intense and it was both intense and not really scary but kind of scary like like almost in a thrill ride kind of scary but not like in a oh my god i'm gonna die kind of scary Until you look up on the roof of Gillies and you see the snipers up there. And that was the only thing that really, really intimidated me was seeing this little nest of snipers up on the roof with their amazingly high-powered binoculars peering down at me and into the crowd and gesturing to each other quickly. And I mean, they look like the way that a shortstop looks when the pitcher's about to throw a pitch. I mean, they are set up and ready to go and they they were kind of in that position for hours those were the guys that were pretty scary and intense and then you had other factions start to show up and you had some debate kind of happening and you had other chants coming back across you had the protest chants and you had the supporting chants and there was a lot of mention of Trump by name. There was dump Trump, and then there was a lot of, like, fuck Trump. Trump
1: is hate.
0: Trump is hate! Trump
1: is hate! Trump is hate! Trump is hate! Trump is hate! Trump is hate!
0: And so as I'm sitting there rolling on this, I'm like, you know, well, about half of this is very specific to this event. But then there was a bunch of other stuff that was a lot more broadly useful. USA, USA. USA, USA, USA,
1: USA, 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 USA,
0: USA! That kind of stuff. Stop the hate. Stop the hate! Stop the hate!
1: Stop the hate!
0: Going nowhere, and there was just a number of really good, interesting chants that I got out of it. And there would be lulls, you know, there'd be periods of time when there was no chance going on. spots. I'd just kind of go find my spot. It was a really intense, interesting event. And I feel like I got greatly rewarded for going out there and braving my own fears and inhibitions and stupidity with regards to public transport. And I feel like I really got rewarded, you know, and I put my little Instagram picture up that said, hey, I'm going to go out there and record this Trump rally. Think good thoughts. And, you know, Some people said, hey, man, be careful. (laughs) Be careful out there. And I think some of the reason that the crowd was so small, especially initially, was because your thought when you go to something like this is, or when you consider something like this is, I hope it's safe. I hope it's not dangerous. And if people think it's going to be dangerous, then they'll tend to not show. And there is just a little bit of that thought around some of this kind of stuff. But there are times you take a risk, and when you take a risk, you're going to get rewarded. Not every time, but in a lot of cases. And in this case, I'm, I'm really happy I went out there and I did it. I felt like I got a lot of good stuff. I felt like I came back from having enjoyed the experience. I felt like I better understand some things that I didn't understand going in, specifically how much of the voyeurism was there, just kind of that sense of everyone just being there to gawk, even if they're participating. I think that was something I didn't expect and maybe I should have. That much was very visceral and real. Yeah, and it was um, it was good. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I hope you enjoy the sounds. I hope you really kind of dig the way it all went down and dig the story. Thank you for continuing to support me and to support Tim and to support the podcast. It really does mean a ton, and I love you guys, and I love this community of people. I do get a lot out of contributing and I will continue to do so in as many different ways as I can without going so far as to disrupt my work-life balance. (laughs) When things like this happen, I feel like I have to share it with the world and I'm very uh, appreciative of your ears and of you taking the time to be an audience because I'm proud of it and I enjoyed it. So there you go. Thanks, guys. We'll see you.